this story. Um, I have a, a question for you. If I was to ask you, who are some people that have really hurt you in your life? It's not the question you want to hear, right? Um, probably some of us would have a whole list of people we could see the faces, right? And maybe that person's, you know, right next to you. You can give them a little elbow. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But um, it's kind of hard not to get hurt in life, isn't it? It's kind of hard not to, you know, have people basically sin against you, I guess is a, a Bible word of saying it. And um, I really hope that as people have heard us, that we're able to somehow forgive them. And I know that forgiveness is not an easy thing, is it? But yet, I also know this, is that without forgiveness, I don't know of any other way of actually finding healing. Do you? I don't know. Um, maybe you've heard some quotes like this about unforgiveness. Things like, to hold on to unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Right? Or, or another one. Um, unforgiveness traps you in a prison cell serving time for someone else's crime. Um, that's kind of what unforgiveness does. And many people have no doubt hurt us, but that's not really my question today. I want to think of the flip side of the question. Have you ever thought so much about who are the people that you have hurt over the years, right? I mean, there's some people I, I think back to some of my past and people that I have nothing to do with anymore. And I think, man, if I could go back, I wish I could because I hurt some people along the way. Sometimes not intentional, other times I don't know. But we have all been hurt and we have all hurt people. And therefore, we're all in need of forgiveness. I'm, I, I rem, I'm reminded of back when I was, say, seven years old. And I went to VBS. Do you know what VBS is? Vacation Bible School um, for kids. And it just so happened that my dad at this church was the pastor. And I have a picture of this church up here. And this is uh, the first church where I grew up in. And this place called Coal Lake in Ontario. Have you heard of small places where you say, it's just a sign on the side of the road? Well, Coal Lake had a highway going through it, but there was no sign. That's how small it was. It didn't even get the sign. And I remember being at this church as a kid at this one VBS. And this is, you know, where, like, say, during March break or during the summer, the kid, there's a kid's program every morning for Monday to Friday. And maybe it was because I was the pastor's kid. I felt at this time in my life, I guess I had a little bit of entitlement issues. Like, I felt like, you know, I own the place. And I guess I felt like I could say whatever I wanted. And I remember sitting in this VBS and the teacher was doing something with us and I just remember thinking to myself, this is kind of boring. But the problem was, I didn't just think it. I actually blurted out in front of all these kids, I said, this is boring. That's what I said. And I know some of you, your personalities, you're like, yeah, I say it all the time, right? Like it wouldn't bother me, but for me to say that out loud, that's not something I would normally do. I felt pretty full of myself that day, but I'll tell you this, the teacher who was teaching us at that time, her name was Jean, and you know, she, she had been around the kids' ministry block a long time. She was not going to be phased by some little pastor's kid telling her that her, her thing is boring. And so without missing a beat, Jean, her name was, she looks right at me, like real stern, and she says, well, David, if you want to go home, you can go home right now. 
And because I was the pastor's kid, our house that literally was across the yard, I could have walked home. But I'll tell you this, when Jean looked me in the eyes and said, then fine, go home. I shriveled up inside. I felt rebuked, and rightfully so. And I tell you, there's nothing more than I wanted to do was just curl up in a little ball and cry. I didn't say a peep for the rest of that VBS, I'll tell you. We're talking today in our series of stories of hope, um, but there's hope for forgiveness. Praise God. (laughs) Praise God there's hope for forgiveness. And the first question I would come to with this idea of forgiveness is before we talk about what forgiveness is, I mean, well, why do we even need forgiveness or what's forgiveness for? And I think we all know this, but, you know, whenever we wrong someone or we cause an offense, um, in order for there to be relational reconciliation in some way, there has to be something done. Often, we have to at least acknowledge what that offense is, but also, there's this thing of this idea like we owe them something. We have a debt now to pay. We have to pay up. There's this idea that we have to pay up. You know, when you do something wrong, you got to make amends for it. If you've ever read the Old Testament in the Law of Moses, there's a whole lot in there about all the ways if you sin this way, this is how you got to pay up, right? Often the principle was, we know this one, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, right? You steal my sandwich, make me a new one kind of deal, right? Um, in, in the Old Testament, it was even life for life. Like, if, if you murdered someone, then you should be murdered. You should be killed, rather. And there was that idea that you had to pay up. Sometimes in the book of Numbers, it talks about adding one-fifth to the price, right? So if you caused them so much damage and money, you had to pay it up and then add one-fifth. Or if you remember two weeks ago with Zacchaeus, he said to Jesus, he said, if I have wronged or sinned against anyone, I'm going to give them, what, four times as much. It's his way of paying up. Sometimes God told the Israelites that the way for them to pay up was to offer a specific set of sacrifices to him. The, the ways of paying up has always been different depending on the thing, but the principle underneath is the same. In that in order for reconciliation to come, we got to pay something. Unless you are forgiven. We always have a debt to pay. And we will have to pay it unless the person who we have offended or hurt or sinned against, unless they extend this idea of forgiveness. What is forgiveness today? I like one definition here. It says forgiveness is it's letting go of resentment and giving up any claim to be compensated for the hurt or the loss we have suffered. It's letting go of that resentment, that animosity that might be building. And it's also letting go and saying, and you have this debt you got to pay to me because you did this wrong to me, but I'm going to cancel it. That's forgiveness. I don't know for a moment, why would anyone want to forgive someone? You know, if someone steals your car and totals it, why would you say, it's okay, I'll go buy myself a new car? Why would you say that? Well, God was, at least the way I I see scripture, God was the first one to ever forgive anyone, and he forgave humans so many times, again and again and again. Why did he forgive them? Because of love. Because of love. And when Jesus comes on this earth, 
He comes carrying forgiveness to us and he, then he, he comes with this radical thought. He says, if you want to be my follower, I want you to act like I act and I want you to extend forgiveness to others as well. Matthew 5, 38, Jesus says, you have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. Just time out here. Does anyone have a hard time swallowing this? It's not that it's true, but to actually to live that out? Like, really? Like, this is the opposite of paying up. This is not even saying, I'll ap- just apologize and it's okay. It's like, here's my one cheek. I forgive you, now slap the other one. Like, this is an upside down way of looking at things and baked right into what it means to be a follower of Jesus is this idea of forgiveness because he has forgiven us. We are to extend it for others. We are to, as that definition says, to give up any claim of being compensated. Today, I wanna read us a story from the, the book of Luke on forgiveness. And for some of us today, my desire is that it will be a story of hope for you, that you will feel that no matter what you have done, where you've come from, there's hope for forgiveness for you. But if I'm being honest, there are some others of us, and I I include myself in this one as well, that my hope for this, as we read this passage, is that you get a little convicted. Ooh, I don't want that. A little convicted that God would maybe be opening our hearts to maybe some blind spots we may have in our lives. And so I'm reading from Luke chapter 7, in verse, starting in verse 36. This is what it says. It says, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. And so Jesus went to his home and he sat down to eat. And when a certain immoral woman from that city heard that he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. And then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. And then Jesus answered his thoughts. Get that one. She says, Simon, he said to the Pharisee, he said, I have something to say to you. And go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. And he tells this story. He says, a man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one, 50 pieces to the other, but neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? And Simon answered, I suppose it was the one whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed me with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, 
have been forgiven, and so she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only a little love. And then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. And then the men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Have you ever noticed with the stories of Jesus and his teaching moments how the heroes of his stories and the people that he uses to speak to us are not the people we would normally go to asking for advice, right? Here is a religious person, a uh, Pharisee we call him, and then this immoral woman. And who is the one that has something to teach us today? Who's the one that's lifted up? It's her. Sometimes a little bit of background Knowledge to stories like this is helpful. Like, first of all, immoral, what does that mean? I mean, something, some people think at the far end of things, it could mean she was a prostitute. Could mean that. It doesn't necessarily say it, but that would be the worst. On, at the very least, she was what you'd call, you know, a loose woman. Either way, she had a reputation. People knew about her and her lifestyle. And my second question would be, how on earth and why was she allowed into that house? of this religious person, what was she doing there? Well, again, some, bi some Bible context helps a little bit because um, when you used to throw big parties, it's a little different than we do it now. When you used to throw a big party, these people had big houses, large courtyards, and you would invite your guests, your honored guests, but it was generally known that everyone could show up if they wanted, but they just had to kind of stand on the sidelines. And they could listen in, they could watch, they could hear, they could see what's going on, but they weren't really allowed to interrupt in. And we don't have parties like that. You know where you're kind of invited, but not really? You're like, come and watch how much fun we're having, but just stand off by the sides. I was thinking, like, where on earth do we have anything like this? And the best analogy I could come up with, which isn't even a good one, is, I don't know if anyone here likes listening to podcasts, but... Um, Sometimes with podcasts, like it's an audio thing that's on the internet. It's like an old, it's like the new version of a radio show. And uh, you have your host and maybe they interview guests or maybe you have a bunch of hosts and they just banter back and forth. And we listen to these things every week, some of us. There's weekly episodes they put out. And these are all done in private, usually in someone's home or someone's studio. But every once in a while, if you follow your favorite podcaster, maybe they will say, we're having a podcast in front of a live audience this time. So their fans are invited to kind of sit and watch them do a podcast. It's the same old podcast. They're still recording it for the internet. I have a picture up here of Geek Show podcasts, which I can't say that I, I watch or listen to. I was like actually looking up. So what do these guys actually talk about? And true to the name, funny enough, it was very geeky stuff. <laughs> and so here they are. They don't usually do a podcast in front of people, but here's like the six guys that always are talking back and forth, and there are people watching them. And when you go to these live podcast shows, you're, you're there to watch, right? You're not, you're not usually asked to go up and banter along with them and tell them your two cents to what they're talking about. You're just listening. It's sort of like that in what we're talking about with this party, that Jesus was the, the, the honored guest but other people were allowed to show up so long as they didn't break certain social rules, which this woman actually did. She went up and interrupted in a way, and not only that, she touched 
a rabbi, and she was a woman, he was a man. There was, this, there was a lot of taboos she was breaking in that moment. I don't know if you noticed this, but uh, in verse 38, it says she knelt behind him at his feet. And you know, that doesn't really make a lot of sense either if you're sitting in a chair, knelt behind him at his feet. But again, it helps to know that at these big meals, often like in Roman times, they would lie down. I have a picture here just to kind of give you this thing. You'd lie down on a couch or on a mat. You'd kind of prop yourself up with one elbow and you'd eat and your feet would be out behind you. And this is how this woman kind of came up behind Jesus and started washing his feet. There's hope for forgiveness today. There's a whole lot I could, we could say about this passage in regards to forgiveness but I want to just touch on a couple things today. And the first, the first point is this. I was trying to think of how on earth I could reword this in some really cool way. And then I finally realized that, you know, maybe Jesus knows best. <laughs> so let's use his words today. Who knew? Those who are forgiven much love much. I think we understand this idea. If, if you had a $20,000 debt and someone said, you know what? It's canceled. You'd probably be a little bit more excited and thankful than if someone canceled you of a $5 debt, right? You're like, oh, sweet, I don't have to pay back the five bucks, but $20,000? That's a lot. We understand this. And Jesus is saying to, to Simon here, this Pharisee, he's saying, Simon, take a look at this lady. Look at how extravagantly over the top she is treating me right now. Like, way better than you are. He kind of hints it, implies this. He's, she's a better hostess than you are. Verse 47, he says, I tell you, her sins, and they are many, they have been forgiven, so she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only a little love. You know, it seems that Simon, he thought that he was pretty well good enough, Right? I mean, sure, he would probably have said, yes, of course I sin like the next guy, but I'm not a sinner. At least not like that woman, right? Everyone knew that woman was a sinner. She probably knew she was not living the right life. And maybe even from coming to Jesus, she wanted to get out of it. But we know that if you've ever experienced destructive sin habits, is that sometimes it's kind of like a, a vortex or a funnel where you kind of start dabbling in it and then it gets stronger and the pull gets more and more and you get to this place where you want to get out but you have no idea how. It controls you. And then this woman discovered Jesus. We don't know if she heard you know him preach in the marketplace or if she saw someone healed or if it was just hearing someone else tell about this guy. But she seemed to think that this guy had something that she needed. And I have to admit, I've always read this passage differently than I read it now as of this week. I always thought when she came and started crying before the Lord that it was like her repentance like, Lord, see, I'm repentant. Will you please forgive me? But as I read this passage a little closer, I realize that it seems more so that she already was forgiven and had experienced forgiveness, and this was the overflow of her love back to the Lord. Why do I think this? Because in verse 47 again, it says, I tell you, her sins there, many have been forgiven, so 
We could say, therefore, as a result, she has shown me much love. We don't ever want to think today that doing the certain right things in itself is what's going to, to save us. We don't want to think that, you know, her thought was, God, if I do some nice things, or Lord, if I do some nice things for you, maybe you can do a nice thing for me and forgive me. But yet this was her response, saying, God, she probably had no words for it. It's just saying, thank you for what you have done. If we're in, still in any doubt, verse 50, he goes on to say, he says to the woman, your faith has saved you. He didn't say your actions, your works, but your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Those who are forgiven much love much. Those who are forgiven little love little. It kind of reminds me of first-generation Christians versus, say, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth-generation Christians. And I'm being very general here. What do I mean? Um, if you've ever met a first-generation Christian, this is someone who didn't maybe grow up Christian. Um, maybe their life was, you know, the antithesis of what it means to live a Christian life. Maybe there was brokenness. Maybe in their story, the horrors you hear when they tell their testimony, you're like, can that actually happen to a person? And some of these people, these first-generation Christians, when they come to know the Lord, I have found that some of the first generation, they're the most excited and most passionate about what God has done in their lives. And I think, why is that? And my thought is, is this, is that they remember what it was like before. They remember, and they don't ever want to go back. And they remember what it was like when he pulled them out of the miry clay and said their feet on the rock, so to speak. But then you have second, third, fourth, fifth generation Christians, and I would include myself in here, whereas, you know, we grew up in church. Maybe our parents were like sincere believers, like as far as the best they could do, they walked the walk, right? I'm not talking about fake kind of cultural Christianity. I'm talking about sincere. Maybe you had aunts and uncles that were sincere Christians or friends in a church, and we've never known some of the brokenness that other people have known. And what is the tendency for people in that situation is that sometimes we take for granted what God has done. This really hit home to me this past month because um, I was talking to a friend. I hadn't seen, we went to Bible college together. And this friend was saying how um, their brother had walked away from the faith, like completely rejected God and was like very atheistic and like following all the arguments and was a good um, debater. And so this brother is like telling my friend, like, why are you still believing in God? And all these arguments that start to shake you up a little. And this friend was telling me, they're like, you know, I don't even know how to respond to what my brother is saying. And sometimes it makes me question where I stand and what do I even believe anymore? And then they said this phrase, which really stood out to me. They said, you know, if I honestly think about it, if I, you know, was not a Christian tomorrow, I don't think my life would really be that different. I, I don't blame this person. I understand what they're saying. Um, I understand the heart. Like, I, I, I don't want to downplay my friend at all because these are honest questions that we deal with. 
But sometimes when you've grown up with the Christian family, you kind of forget that maybe the reason you had such a healthy upbringing was because of what God did in your parents' lives and your grandparents' lives years ago. And that is why you've been protected from so many things. And it just goes to show that that reminder that just because it takes awareness to realize that we have been forgiven much. And sometimes we think we've only been forgiven little like Simon and therefore we love little. Second point today is, it leads from this point, is that we all have much to be forgiven of. You know, we're all in the first category. If, I, if I'm reading scripture right, um, he says, for those that are forgiven little, they love little. I don't really know if there is anyone that actually, you know, fits in that category. I have just a little bit to be forgiven of. But the issue seems to be that Simon thought he had little to be forgiven of. He thought it. He was self-righteousness had blinded him. Man, Jesus, he sometimes calls Pharisees out because of false righteous, self-righteousness, right? He says, you know, on the outside, you care about the outside. You got the outside really looking nice, but you're like a whitewashed tomb, you know? You paint, good paint job on the outside, but inside you're just left full of dead bones, right? He's like, you know, it's like you've got the outside of that old car looking good. You put the Bondo on and you got it all painted nice, but you know, like the rockers are all rotted out, right? It's all for show. Your hearts aren't right. Simon thought that he was better than her. And yet, was he really? Was he really? It leads to this thought that forgiveness today is available for the humble, but not the self-righteous. Forgiveness is available for the, hun- for the humble and not the self-righteous. I want to just read a few verses from Luke 18. It says, Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everybody else. He said, Two men went to the temple to pray, One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. And the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I certainly am not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give you a tenth of my income. Praise God. Thank you. I'm not like that. But Jesus says, but the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven. And as he prayed, instead he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you this, that this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I, I began today with a story about this VBS where I talked back to my teacher and said how boring, you know, her program was. And I was walking in there pretty exalted, if I could borrow the biblical terminology here, but I left very humbled. <laughs> I, you know, I said, I'm bored. And she looks at me and she says, well, if you want to go home, you can leave right now. And I shriveled up. Well, I went home that day and I don't think I said anything to my parents, but my mom was at the VBS, so she probably heard of what happened. 
And so I get confronted with my, by my parents on like, you know, this isn't, <laughs> what you did isn't right. And I knew this by this point. I felt very remorseful. I really regretted what I said. But when it comes to wronging someone, what do you do? You got to make it right. And in this situation, it seemed the best way to make it right was first to acknowledge my guilt and apologize to her. And so that Sunday morning comes along, and I don't know if you, if you know this, but if, if you ever grew up in a pastor's family, because your, your parents are always busy during the service, you get honorary grandparents to sit with during the service. And do you know who my honorary grandparent was at that point? It was Jean and her husband Cecil. So I had no way of getting around not talking to her because I had to sit in her pew. And so I come into the, you know, come into the sanctuary and I, I feel like that tax collector. I probably had my eyes down really low, couldn't even look up. And, you know, I said, Jean, I'm sorry for what I said to you. And Jean was obviously very gracious about it. And she's like, it's okay, David. And maybe said something like, I forgive you. And then things were reconciled right there. I'm not saying every time you forgive someone, things are going to be reconciled because, or, or the relationship's going to go back to the way it was. Sometimes that's not going to happen and sometimes it shouldn't happen. But many times it does happen. And as we're looking at this idea that there's hope for forgiveness and thinking of the story of this woman and this, tax, or this uh, Pharisee named Simon, I want us to think as we close, which one of those do you relate to the most? Which one do you relate to the most? This woman or the tax collector? Because there are some people here that are going to relate to this woman. You're going to be like her and you have ran far from God. You have things that you regret. You have a lot of sins behind you that are weighing you down and you're wanting out. And what I know from this story is, is that no matter how far or what you have done, you can never outrun his grace and forgiveness. And maybe today, it's not so much about the sin that you have done in the past, or maybe you're still finding yourself caught up in, but the question is, is your heart humble to recognize who you are and to come to God and say, God, I need forgiven. Maybe in this last song, I'm going to ask the team to come on up now in this last song, your prayer to God is that, God, forgive me. I'm coming to you. I know what I am. I need you. Then there's others of us today. We relate to Simon, if we're being honest. We think, you know, we're not that bad of people. We're pretty good. Maybe we need Jesus, but not too badly, right? We just need him a little bit, because I'm pretty well got it all together. I know there are probably people here that you think, I'm pretty good the way it is right now. And maybe your prayer today is, God needs to give you a revelation that just like Simon needed, that we are all in great need of God's forgiveness. Maybe we need that revelation that God, without you, I'm hopeless and lost. And maybe our prayer, if that is you today, as we close today, is saying, God, sorry for taking you for granted. Would you soften my heart to see things and see myself the way you see me and my need, my need for you. 
Whether you feel like Simon, if you're being honest, or whether you feel like that lady in this story, the beautiful thing of it is, is that either way, there is hope for forgiveness today if our hearts are humble towards him. Let's pray this morning. God, we just... Holy Spirit, I ask right now that you would do some heart surgery on us. Lord, thank you that you offer your forgiveness to us. And I just pray today for those here that are carrying around the weight of what sin does in our hearts and say, God, I can't take it on my own. I can't keep trying to do it on my own. I want to lay it down to you and I don't know how maybe. And I'm just praying for those people today, God, that all it takes is us crying out to say, God, have mercy upon me. Have mercy upon me. Lord, I also want to pray for those today that if we're being really honest with ourselves, we're a little bit like Simon and we really think we've got it We've got life pretty much under control. Yeah, we could use God a little, but we're not in a deep need for you. And I just pray, God, would you just wipe, would you just rip that lie off of our eyes? Would you take that blindness away? We need you today. We are nothing without you today. God, if we need humbled, would you humble us? And that's a painful prayer to pray. But I know it's where healing is found. God, we just thank you. We thank you that today, in you, there is hope for forgiveness. Amen.